Welcome to the FinTech and Digital Banking Podcast by BCG Platinian. Your hosts are Annika Melchert and Nora Hocker. Join them as they talk to hand-picked FinTech experts about the future of banking. Hello and welcome to the FinTech and Digital Banking Podcast by BCG Platinian. As always, with your two favorite hosts, the fabulous Annika. Hi. <laughs> and myself, Nora. So we have quite an interesting setup today as Annika is talking to us from Dubai. I'm recording from Frankfurt, Germany, and our amazing guest today is connected to us virtually from New York, United States. So we have, I think it's an eight hour time difference between Annika and uh, our guest, uh, Yu Shannon. Welcome today. Thank you, Doris. Great to be with you. So you, you're the head of sales and customer success at Oak North. Um, and I've also heard you were previously a director at Lazard, where you spent seven years after spending another six years at UBS Investment Bank. So you're quite a um, yeah, banking expert, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. So for, for better or worse, I've spent all of my professional career working with banks in some aspect. I actually trained first as a lawyer um, and worked at a law firm for a couple of years And even that was working with banks, but more in the litigation and insolvency um, area. But then you're right, when I started working in investment banking uh, at UBS in Sydney, that was working with financial institutions and banks as my customers. And it was a very interesting and formative time because I started work in 2006, pre-financial crisis, obviously going through that period, working to support those banks, um, both in Australia and then when I moved to the Sounds like a great starting point into the industry. No, that's no, it's it's right. It was um, look, I think for anyone who worked, you know, with financial institutions going through the financial crisis, it was a very formative time. Um, and then, as I mentioned, I came to the US in 2010, still working in investment banking. But again, the I guess the interesting dynamic I then saw over the following you know nine years was you know we continued to talk to our clients about investment banking services and M&A transactions and um, capital markets. But what banks really wanted to talk about was technology, right? Where they had a risk of disruption from technology. What technology should they be deploying? Could they acquire? Should they build something themselves? So when the opportunity came up to join Oak North, continue to focus on working with banks as my customers, but actually bring that technology angle. You know, I really jumped at it because it's something which had always interested me. And I, I really see that, you know, in talking to banks, it's something that they're increasingly focused on um, and looking for, you know, partners like Oak North potentially to work with them. Amazing. I couldn't have put a better transition into today's topic because obviously you're here today to talk about Oak North and we're super interested in hearing about your business model, obviously, but also dive a bit deeper into the tech landscape. And as a special focus, we want to put some focus on ESG and climate change and understand what role these topics play in your strategy and products. Let's directly jump into that. Could you maybe explain Oak North's business model in three words for us? Sure. So I'll, I'll, I'll use three words, but I'll put a bit of words around them, right? So what, what we say at Oak North is we help banks to lend Faster, smarter, and more. So the three words I'd say, like faster, faster, smarter, and more. Um, but look, that's really what we do in a nutshell. 
Uh, we focus specifically on commercial lending. And I think as part of our conversation today, we'll get into a bit more detail around, you know, what do we mean by, by those three words? That sounds so cool. What's the funding story behind? And how did you actually end up offering your USP to competitors? Yeah, sure. Um, look, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting story. So, so our founders at Oak North, Rishi and Joel, um, had previously built another very successful business that was focused on data and analytics in the credit space um, through 2014. They built that business from scratch up to 3,000 employees and sold it to Moody's in 2014. Um, and in scaling up that business, they themselves experienced how challenging it was for entrepreneurs and growth businesses to get access to capital and credit from banks. And so when they successfully exited that business, they said, look, we know a lot about data, we know a lot about analytics, we know a lot about the credit space. They were selling those products to, I'd call it the corporate institutional market. Um, and they said, look, if we take that toolkit we've built, but bring in more of a software angle to it, can we actually provide those same analytical frameworks and insights to banks in the commercial lending space, which would ultimately result in a much better customer, end customer borrower experience? Uh, so the way that they started that was actually by founding their own bank uh, in the UK, Oak North Bank. Um, and in March 2015 was when it was founded. At that point, it was only the third new banking license given in the last 150 years in the UK. And so from that launch over the last seven years, the bank has now lent around $10 billion, um, but done that in a very profitable um, fashion, right? So it has around a 30% return on equity, a 26% efficiency ratio. And, you know, those figures, you know, put the bank in not just a top decile, but almost a, a, a top 1% of overall performance for banks globally. Um, and how they've done that is by taking those analytical frameworks that they built in their previous organizations, as I mentioned, combining it with software, and that approach that they built out within the bank is now what we've commercialized in the other arm of our business at Oak North, what we call Oak North Credit Intelligence. And through that business where, as you mentioned, I had sales and customer success, we focus on selling that software to other banks to enable them to better address the commercial lending opportunity and really bring better access to capital and credit in the SME marketplace. So do I get it right? You basically started with a tech product or the software, then put it into production via the Oak North Bank and then later sold the software to your or to competitors or to the market. Yes, yeah, so, so Nora, I describe it slightly differently, but I think in broad strokes, you're correct, right? So I think at Rishi and Joel, they started with the concept, right? Which mm -hmm. is like, how can we better help entrepreneurs get access to credit? The way that they started to prove that out was within Oak North Bank. Um, and then as they built around the processes, the people and the technologies, they built that out within the bank, then that became the commercialized um, technology that's, that's now our Oak North Credit Intelligence. But you're right, always at the core of what they were thinking was, you know, how can we 
take a different and almost transformative approach to commercial lending that's going to lead to better outcomes, you know, not just for banks, but also for their customers. Okay, understood. And Oak North Bank and Oak North Credit Intelligence are two different companies, correct? Yeah, we are sister companies. Okay. You know, we have a holding company at the top, but really, we, you know, we're, we're sister companies. And indeed, the bank is a customer of the credit intelligence software business today. Let's look more into your customers and the problems you actually solve. Talking about the credit decisioning suites, can you explain what is the challenge with formal credit decisioning processes and what makes your credit intelligence so successful? Yeah, so look, I, th I think there's a couple of elements at play here, right? So we focus on the commercial lending and you know lower middle market space. So you're talking about exposure sizes of between around a million dollars on the lower end and $40 million on the top end, right? Um, banks lend to smaller businesses and smaller exposures in small business lending. They also lend in corporate institutional at the, at the larger end. But the problem you see for that commercial middle market piece is that the borrowers have a degree of complexity. That means it's not possible to apply a purely scored credit decisioning model like you can do in small business lending, right? The way to think about that is almost as an extension. If you think about personal credit or consumer credit, if you apply to bank for a credit card, you can do it on your phone, You can, you know, once you've typed it on the field, you get a decision straight away. You know, basically, in the way the bank's doing that is through a scored model. At the upper end in corporate institutional lending, it's a very human capital intensive process from banks, but they're making millions, tens of billions, even hundreds of billions of dollars of, you know, fees um, and spread on every deal so that they can afford to just throw humans at the problem and solve these highly structured, complex transactions for their customers. But in that commercial middle market space, you don't have the size and scale just to throw humans at it and get a return, but you've still got the complexity that requires you to have a far more granular, detailed approach to it, right? So what that means is that for a lot of banks, The way that they solve that and still lend in an efficient fashion is by having a very narrow definition of the types of borrowers, and the types of financial metrics that they'll lend to. And what that means if you fall outside of that is, you know, you just get a, a straight rejection from the bank and not an opportunity to really work with them and have them understand your business. So that's what we look to solve at Oak North, which is bringing that additional granularity, bringing additional insight taking a forward-looking view of where those businesses are going as well um, and incorporating that in so that banks can expand the size of the market that they address um, and do so in a profitable fashion. And what team does it take to build a platform like your credit intelligence suite? For instance, thinking about the ratio of IT versus business. Yeah. So, I mean, look, it, 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 it is a software solution, right? So with software you never finish building. Um, and certainly the reason that banks want to work with us as opposed to, you know, larger legacy players is that, you know, we are building, we are iterating, we're taking their feedback and incorporating it into what we do. Um, so you have to, you know, 
iterate, test, experiment, redeploy, et cetera. So our product today, you know, we've built that, you know, with approximately 250 credit scientists and software engineers. So credit scientists, you know, it's our sort of phrase we've coined, right, which is a combination, if you think about it, a credit analyst, but who's applying data science type techniques or vice versa. So that's the size of the team that we put into play. And then across both Oak North Bank and then Oak North Credit Intelligence, we have around 700 employees. So you think about that credit science component, it's, you know, probably around 35% of, you know, the overall big picture for Oak North. As you just mentioned that you're serving quite some incumbent banks as well. Uh, that sounds an awful lot to me, like you need to offer various deployment options, for example, because they might be a bit hesitant to go on a software as a service. So how exactly is your tech stack uh, set up? Maybe, yeah, a bit more, mm -hmm. more on a high level, of course. Don't need to go into every, yeah. every single detail. Yeah, yeah. So, so Nora, look, it's, it's an interesting question, right? And I'd, I'd break it into two parts, right? So your first part's around, you know, legacy financial institutions and, you know, do they have an appetite to deploy a, a SaaS cloud-based solution? And the interesting thing for me in the three years that I've been here at Oak North is we've seen a continued evolution and I'd say improvement in that, right? In that banks are increasingly using cloud services in areas of their business, right? And to be clear, like their whole tech stack is not on the cloud and some of their core infrastructure is still very legacy. But increasingly, they realize that, look, the importance and, and need to do that. So that definitely makes it easier for us in terms of starting a new vendor relationship with banks. As for our own deployment and architecture, et cetera, our credit intelligence suite is built with an API-based architecture, right? So that makes it easiest to get for us to get data in from bank systems and every bank has a different combination of systems. It also makes it easy for us to get the data back out from Oak North into whatever systems or dashboards that they're built today. That said, you know, there are certain banks, you know, and some of them quite large that's, that find it easier just to start off, you know, with their own, you know, standalone application for Oak North because then they don't need to go through a lengthy progress to integrate it with other systems. So we do also have a standalone UI that can deliver all the same insights um, back out again. So you just mentioned your, your product is built API first. I assume that can get a bit tricky when it comes to legacy systems. How do you solve that? Yeah, so um, look, it's interesting again, Banks in general recognize that they need to evolve their technology systems and stack. Um, and, you know, banks in the US are spending really astronomical sums of money on technology every year, right? And a lot of that's driven by the fact that they've got all these legacy systems to support. So, you know, just, just to pick one example, Wells Fargo, it's one of, you know, the top four largest banks in the US. Their annual spend on IT is in the order of, 11 to 12 billion US dollars a year. PNC, who's a customer of ours, has 6,000 employees working in their IT team, 3,000 of which are developers, right? So 
it's pretty mind-boggling figures when you think about like the amount of dollars or the amount of people that, that they're spending on technology today. Where we come into play in commercial lending, I mean, the, the, the key systems that we interface with or integrate with core systems, you know, which are recording the details of loans, customer loans, the amount that's been repaid, the interest rates, the terms, etc. Um, we also integrate with spreading systems, which are where banks capture and record historical financials. And then we also integrate with CRM systems or loan origination systems, right? But the challenge that banks often have is that those three systems, although they're very core to commercial lending, don't necessarily talk to each other or have a, you know, even a sort of common identifier between each other. So that, you know, yes, they've got an ability to service their loans. Yes, they have an ability to test historical financials at point of underwriting. Yes, they have the ability to trigger workflows around that, but they're all operating somewhat in isolation. So, you know, one of the key things we do is bring that data all together. Um, I'd say the other thing that we're doing is, you know, for a lot of these systems, the best that they can do is play back data to the bank or to employees at the bank that the bank themselves have put in, right? But they're not really giving intelligence or insights. But again, like that's a central part of Oak North Credit Intelligence is like, how can we give something more? How can we be the brains, for example, that sit inside a workflow and not just tell them, hey, this is the next step that you've got to do, but actually, hey, these are the borrowers that you should go and focus on because these have the highest risk, right? These are the borrowers that you should feel comfortable with because they're low risk and you don't need to do anything about them. And, you know, the Oak North system will just keep an eye on those and flags if something um, if something comes up or if something deteriorates. So that's the sort of, you know, insights or intelligence that our customers are looking for um, and that we can help provide. Coming again from the business problem, right? So... One thing that Oak North focuses on as well is uh, climate change or climate risk. Um, where does that focus on sustainability and climate change come from? Yeah. So I mentioned a little bit earlier, but at Oak North, as we think about really a transformative view for commercial lending, a key part of that is bringing a forward-looking view of risk and a forward-looking view of where borrowers are going going as opposed to where they've been. If you come back to that initial business problem, the way that banks typically analyze credit is just by looking at historical financials, historical credit metrics, and trying to make some you know, pro forma adjustments or sensitivities to account for potential future states. But they're not actually saying, look, where do we actually see the world going and how does that impact ultimately on potential for borrowers to repay their loans and that's the, the risk the banks themselves sustain. So a key part of that sort of analysis of Oak North is thinking about forward-looking scenarios and forward-looking view of risk, right? So back to your question around climate and climate risk and climate scenarios, obviously an increasingly important forward-looking scenario or forward-looking risk is climate change. And banks recognise already that that is something that they need to understand not only for their own operations, but even more importantly, perhaps, for the operations of their customers, of their borrowers, because if climate change has a negative impact 
on their borrowers and their borrowers' business and the ability of their borrowers' business to generate cash flows, that means that the banks run a credit risk, run a financial risk that their loans don't get repaid, right? So it's, you know, the more we think about it, the more critical it is to incorporate and, you know, COVID really brought home that need to have a forward-looking risk, need to understand what these, you know, potential black swan events are, but climate change is not a black swan event. Like, we know what's coming. So, you know, how can we help banks to to get ready for that? So we already have climate change as one dimension. How can I imagine the others? Yeah, so maybe to give a bit more specifics in terms of what we're doing around climate risk and climate scenarios. So banks already today run stress tests or forward-looking scenarios to understand look, what are potential impacts on their portfolio under different macroeconomic scenarios. For climate change, there's a lot more uncertainty and there's a lot longer timeframes. Um, but there are some well-defined pathways or potential pathways that the industry is coalescing around. So, for example, there's you know, NGFS and define you know, six climate pathways that a lot of the bank regulators globally, including in the US, are aligning against, right? So what we help banks to do is to take those broad macro climate scenarios, understand what the translation of those would be down at individual industry levels, and then apply them against their borrower financials in those individual industries, and then have a view at the borrower level of what does the potential borrower performance look like as these climate scenarios manifest over a short, medium, long-term horizon, right? And that all comes back to credit metrics that banks understand today and evaluate. So it's really, you know, it's linking these broad, you know, climate scenarios. So, if, you know, you think about coming out of COP26 or, you know, a lot of discussion around Paris Accord, you have, you know, a, a net zero 2050 climate pathway, or you have a disorderly delayed climate pathway. And what it, what it really means is, you know, what are the steps that globally countries and institutions and individuals are going to have to take? And so what we're measuring is like, how does that then translate down into the individual customer or borrower level? And then how does that play through for the bank? I have one follow-up question on this. Thinking about COP27 as the United Nations Climate Change Conference, if the conference decides on new climate objectives, what did it take for your credit intelligence to implement this? Could you just change the parameters in the scenarios itself? Yeah, pre pre precisely. And look, actually, we saw that happen just a couple of weeks ago, right? So... NGFS, which is this industry body that I mentioned, stands for Network for Greening Financial Services. They released updated climate pathway models. Arnika, as you're suggesting, like when those updates were released, we can go through and update those as they flow through our software, change the parameters, as you put it. Um, and then what it means for banks that are using our software is... It's very simple for them to then get an updated view of those scenarios that can compare against the old version and then compare between the different climate pathways. But it becomes, you know, a much more robust but also easy to use approach, right? Because the alternative, you know, you would see is, you know, the way that banks would understand this is, you know, by literally running individual Excel 
uh, workbooks for each individual borrower, right? But then you need to be going through, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of these to like go and update figures, data points within those to sort of start to to start to feed out a, an updated view on the overall bank's portfolio. So for our listeners who are not so familiar with the climate topology, you just mentioned climate scenarios and pathways. What's behind these terms? Yeah, so the way to think about these terms are, I mean, if you take a step back and accept as a starting point that our level of carbon emissions and level of you know, CO2 in the atmosphere is you know, well above historical levels and it's at a point that is leading to you know, continued global warming, right? So when you think about you know, the Paris Accord or COP26 or COP27, what these bodies are looking to reach is a global agreement that not only do we need to slow the level of carbon emissions, but then we actually need to you know, reduce carbon emissions down by pretty dramatic factors over a you know, relatively short period of time. Um, so then when you say, well, you know, we have a climate scenario, which is net zero 2050, what that scenario is saying is like from a global perspective, like what are the levers and what are the steps that need to be taken to reduce the level of human emitted carbon into the atmosphere to zero in 28 years time, right? So what that means is no more burning of fossil fuels, transition to electric vehicles, change in land use, change in manufacturing processes that release CO2, use of carbon capture and sequestration. You know, all of those are levers that can be put into place. They have associated costs. They also have associated benefits, right? And what the NGFS has mapped out, you know, and there's different bodies that set out these pathways as well, is that there's different pathways that we could take. We could start to take a coordinated, concerted global effort today. Or, you know, the people could and, you know, com countries could and institutions could delay their approach. And even if you delay for five years, right, it means that the steps that then need to get taken are more severe because we've continued to increase carbon emissions over the, the subsequent five years. So thinking about these different macro scenarios that play through, there's different flow-on impacts on the economy, there's different flow-on impacts on individual industries, there's different flow-on effects on individual businesses. And, you know, it's, it's a scenario-based approach to modelling at the moment. So it's not to say that these things will happen, But it's really understanding of what are the different sensitivities and different levers that are out there, are available or will come into play. And then what is the you know, impact or sensitivity upon different actors or um, companies within the economy that's, that's playing through. So it's a big, complex problem, but, you know, tying it back to, you know, banks that we work for and the use of technology Banks are increasingly building up teams to understand this, to measure it, to report on it, to think about, you know, incorporating into risk frameworks, to think about decisions they need to take. They're thinking about, you know, what is the data that we need to drive this analysis? What's the technology we need to capture that data, to analyze it? What are changes in our processes and approach, et cetera, we need? So it's, it will become 
an increasingly important part of you know how banks run themselves, operate, and you know finance companies and their borrowers going forward. Yeah, it sounds like a really, it's especially challenging um, from the aspect to break it down from such a macro level down to to individual organizations. I understood the levers you just talked about for banks as the pathways for banks to fight climate change. So maybe looking at it from a more narrow perspective, from banking IT, what would be pathways from a technology perspective, maybe even looking at Oak North credit intelligence? Great question, Nora. And I, I just yeah, briefly mentioned a couple of these, but maybe to drill in a bit more, right? So I think the the foundational or starting problem that a lot of banks are coming to when they're thinking about analyzing, evaluating, measuring climate risk or climate scenarios is data. To give an example, right? So one area that we all think about, you know, intuitively comes to mind when you think about climate change is the physical impact. So as the world gets hotter, there will be more severe weather events of increased intensity, of increased frequency. And as rainfall patterns change, as sea levels rise, as temperature rises, looking at the historical experience won't be applicable looking forward. So where this comes into example is, you know, the risk from floods, right? And so for banks, as they lend to businesses, as they lend to, you know, individuals, whether it's, you know, commercial property lending that's secured by the property, whether it's mortgage lending that's secured by a house um, or apartment, banks have, have a risk there, right? Now, the question around data would be, so look, if you're lending to a commercial business, do you actually have data of where all of their physical assets are located, right? And for a lot of banks, that's a challenge. They might say, well, look, We have an address on file, but that's the address of the headquarters of the company, right? Now, we know when our relationship manager goes and talks to them, like we know that they then have operating, like 10 operating sites. Like we know where they are, but do they actually have that data recorded, right? Do they have the address locate recorded? Do they have detail of what the assets are at that address? Do they have details of, you know, how much revenue is associated with that particular address, right? So then when a bank would want to overlay flood data or, you know, wildfire data, you can have a sense of like what is the what is the impact of that, that risk that's applying, right? So the short answer is banks don't have that in a good place at the moment. So a starting point is data. And then, you know, from an IT or technology perspective, like what are the systems that they're using to, to store that data in and then it just continues from there right as they start to think about applying different climate scenarios against that data what are the frameworks for analysis that they're putting around that what are the systems that they're putting in place um, again the banks are really just at the really at the starting point for that now but again what we say to you know a lot of our customers and banks that we're talking to is look you know By just starting on that journey, starting to explore what is possible with the data you've got and what's not possible, 
Yes, you're going to get some helpful analysis coming out of it, but just going through that process itself is going to help you identify like where are gaps, where are gaps in data, where's gaps in your technology, where's gaps in your methodology or process. Um, so you can't just sit there forever and say, look, we don't have the data, we don't have the data, we don't have the technology, right? So we can't do anything. We need to spend all this time getting something in place. If banks can just start with what they've got today, that will be actually quite informative in terms of, you know, what are the, the next steps then that they can start to take. I understood. We now talked a lot about your cool functionalities. Let's focus more on Oak North as a company in general. Is there anything else you're actively doing to fight the climate change? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. So for Oak North as a whole, you know, we started our journey on this um, back in 2019. So, yeah, offsetting our scope one and scope two emissions. And then, you know, we've also committed to achieving net zero for all of our emissions, including our scope three emissions from lending activity within Oak North Bank. Maybe just to take a second to explain what, what that means, um, like the scope one, scope two, scope three. <laughs> no, it's getting even yeah. beyond the tech side of the climate fight. Can you maybe spend one minute on what the scope definition actually means? Yeah, no, no, no. So, so again, scope one, scope two, scope three is a way of describing, I call it like the direct or indirect nature of carbon emissions, right? So scope one emissions are carbon that, businesses directly release into the atmosphere, right? So if you are burning oil in your furnace to heat your building, like that generates carbon dioxide, right? If you're a transportation business and you're burning diesel and more petrol gas in your engines, like those, that burning generates scope one emissions, right? Scope two emissions are purchased through electricity, Right, So the electricity that you use to run your business, if you're purchasing that and that's generated from coal-fired um, power plants, that's going to have a very different profile from a gas-fired power plant than from a hydro or a nuclear, you know, what have you. Um, whereas scope three is a much broader definition and you, you define that as supply chain. Right? So it's everything that's upstream, everything that's downstream in your supply chain. Um, and so ultimately, a business's scope three emissions are really the scope one, scope two emissions of you know, businesses up and down the supply chain. For banks in particular, where scope three comes relevant is the way that the accounting standards for carbon have been written and agreed is that banks need to disclose what's called their scope three financed emissions. So really what that means is like if a bank finances a business and that business itself is a heavy emitter of carbon dioxide, banks need to recognize that through its scope three financed emissions. So really what this over time will do is shift the reporting and accountability, like not just on the individual businesses themselves, but like where the sources of capital to fund those businesses come from. So coming back to my comment, you know, for Oak North Bank making a net zero commitment for our scope three lending activity, what that means is by 2035, all of our borrowers from Oak North Bank collectively will need to have net zero carbon emissions, right? So That's something that, you know, we'll obviously need to work really closely with our borrowers and new customers 
you know, over the coming decade to ensure that like they themselves are going on a decarbonisation journey so that, you know, we can meet that goal and that target from Oak North Bank. So is that only a UK regulatory requirement or is it uh, something that's been addressed globally? It's, it's something which is, which is and will increasingly become relevant globally. And so, for example, one of the bodies was founded only last year and was sort of one of the key ones for COP26 in Glasgow. It was called GFANS, G-F-A-N-Z, uh, Global Financial Alliance for Net Zero. And what this entity is doing is banks on a global scale are signing up to this and saying, look, as a bank, we are making this commitment to get to net zero. That includes our financed emissions And, you know, really what it's saying is, look, banks recognize that, you know, they are an important and central part to the global economy. For the global economy to get to net zero, banks themselves need to get to net zero and their borrowers, right? So it's, it's really tying, you know, the way I think about it is like intermeshing or tying all of the pieces together, right? Because if, you know, we as individuals and, you know, bank executives say, look, yes, it's important that as a world we get to net zero, but then they themselves are not saying, look, we as a business will do that. It's meaningless, right? So you really need businesses, you know, big businesses like banks to make those commitments. And, you know, the, the great news is, look, increasingly we are seeing that. And as there is continued progress um, and continued clarity around with what other steps it can take, you know, I think we'll see more and more banks that, that sign on become a part of that. Thanks a lot for this. Um, you're based in the US as the Director of Growth and Operations. What does it tell you about Oak North growth plans here? Is there anything that you can reveal for us here today? Sure. Like, so I think um, a couple of things, right? So, I mean, myself, I'm, I'm Australian, right? As <laughs> Some of your listeners may be able to tell from my accent, but I've lived in the US for 12 years. Actually, if I think about it, what attracted me to the US initially and has kept me here is a similar thing for Oak North, which is if you're thinking about financial services, thinking about working with banks, you know, the US is obviously a huge market opportunity. There are 4,500 banks in the US. Yes, they're heavily concentrated by asset size or loan size at the top end, but there's also a very long tail, right? So that's a great growth opportunity for us, right? Like go after the, the larger banks, you know, who want to continue to become more efficient in the way that they address the market, want to be able to address the risks. But then there's also a really good, great opportunity to help banks in that long tail compete with the larger banks and apply technology to enable them to lend and service their SMEs, right? And particularly when you go to those small banks, they're very, you know, they call themselves community banks, right? They're banks based locally in the community, Their customers are those SMEs, those businesses in the local community. Like they want their communities to continue to thrive. They want to be able to provide them, you know, credit and capital. Um, and so Oak North has a really good opportunity um, to do that there. To get a bit more specific around, you know, where do we see, you know, our next areas of growth coming? One of the products that we're continuing to build out now is around monitoring and early warning indicators, right? So The, the analogy you can almost use is like an iceberg, right? Like you think for, you know, when you talk to banks, they're like, look, what, what's important for us is growth, right? Bringing new customers in and growing our overall loan book and, you know, finding that opportunity. But the reality is probably 80% of their time is spent just on servicing and managing their existing customer base. And look, it's obviously important 
that they continue to do that and support them well. But a lot of that is going through, you know, bank regulators require them to go through an annual review process and write an annual review for every single one of the borrowers in their book, right? And, you know, a complaint that banks have is, look, that's great, but we're applying the same approach to every single borrower. We're not differentiating. It's very time-consuming and we're not getting a lot of value out of it. So how can we actually think about getting insights and getting signals that allow us to focus on those higher-risk borrowers um, but spend less time or no time on really the low-risk borrowers and have a continual monitoring approach to them support to do that. Um, so that's an area where we're spending a lot of time at the moment and, you know, really excited about the opportunity that that will bring, you know, as we take that into the market further. So yeah, I assume that this is also a very competitive area where Old North is currently based and how do you avoid being disrupted in the future? Yeah. So look, I think one of our core values at Oak North is, you know, zero basing, right? So continuing to come back and starting with a blank sheet of paper and, you know, defining what is the optimal way of doing things rather than being tied to how things have traditionally been done. We've seen that be very successful in our own bank. Um, and indeed, like the people, you know, the reason that people want to go and work, you know, at startups like Oak North is, you know, again, because you're you're coming with new ideas and you're not sort of necessarily stuck with as much large corporate bureaucracy, right? Um And then I think the other thing is say is look, you know, we we just look continue to invest in our product, in our data and analytical capabilities, and you know, thinking about how we bring that to our bank partners. Um, but I think what we see is look, given we've got you know this very specific focus, you know, it allows us to be agile, it allows us to be nimble, um, and continue to build really interesting things here. So I think that's how we avoid being disruptive, but just you know continue to have that really good focus, um, but, you know, keep on coming back and thinking, look, is there, make sure that we're doing it in the, the best possible way um, going forward. Sounds like a healthy approach to it. So looking a bit at the time, uh, we're already at the end of today's episode. I found it really interesting to hear about your, well, very very special uh, founding approach of the Constellation with the sister companies. And thank you very much for explaining to us the impact of climate change on banks and especially commercial lending. And obviously, for us, most interesting, the role that technology plays in it. We're very much looking forward to seeing more of Oak North and how you set an example on sustainable banking and how you will do so through new products in the future, as you just introduced. Thanks for joining us today. Yep. Nora, Annika, it's been an absolute pleasure and thank you for having me. Thank you very much for being with us. You've been listening to the FinTech and Digital Banking Podcast by BCG Platinian. BCG Platinian, your experts on IT strategy, modern technology architecture and state-of-the-art banking. The digital future is now. For more information, check bcgplatinian.com.